Over the past year, many of the great leaders of the civil rights movement have gone on to glory. Some names we know well and others are less familiar, like Juanita Abernathy and Emily England Clyburn, Congressman Elijah Cummings, Reverend Joseph Lowry, Reverend C.L. Vivian, and Congressman John Lewis. Just last week, many of us watched the live stream of Congressman Lewis's homegoing service. I wonder if you were like me, feeling both sad and energized, feeling a great loss and yet mighty proud, ready to get into good trouble. In those moments, I heard the Spirit of God saying to me, yelling to me, girl, you better work while you got time. And speaking of time, would you believe that in 1990, I had the privilege of meeting these and many other civil rights icons when I served as Deputy Press Secretary on Andrew Young's gubernatorial campaign in Georgia. I staffed Reverend Young on Sundays as we visited churches throughout Georgia, sharing the word of peace and justice and love. I was so young. A recent graduate of Howard University, a Jew, I didn't comprehend the greatness that surrounded me. Most times I was the only woman and youngest person on these trips. I sat quietly and listened to the stories, their experiences, and their drive for freedom, the sit-ins and boycotts, the marches and fire hosings, the beatings and arrests. It filled my heart as a 20-something-year-old, and it compels me 30 years later as I watch the funeral service of this great man. I am reminded that our time on this earth is limited. As young people, we think that we have all the time in the world. When we see these pictures of these young leaders from the 50s and 60s, we are immediately taken aback by their youth. They look so young to be doing such monumental acts, acts that moved a nation. That was then. And today we continue to see young men and women leading peaceful Black Lives Matter protests in cities across this country. Young people seeking to change laws, practices, beliefs, and attitudes that make it okay to separate children from their mothers at U.S. borders. Laws that make it okay to feed the prison industrial complex with black and brown people. For schools to be overcrowded and under-resourced. For 155,000 people to die from COVID-19 for LGBTQIA folks to be targets of violence and oppression and the killing of transgender women. Okay, for voters to be suppressed in 2020 and for 30 million unemployed people to lose extra benefits. And okay, to kill black bodies. Why is this okay? Could it be that those in power feel that we have done something to deserve unequal treatment? Could it be that those in power believe that our mamas and daddies, families or communities did something to cause the situations we find ourselves in? That we somehow got what was coming to us? Because you know lots of people think or feel this way. 
<clears throat> we find examples of this kind of thinking in the Old Testament. The one we are most familiar with is the story of Job. Remember how Job's friends responded to his tragedy? How Job lost everything, his sons and daughters, his livestock and land. And then he had these terrible sores all over his body. And his friends were like, Job, man, you must have sinned or done something to cause all of these terrible things to happen. We see the perpetuation of beliefs and attitudes about race and class, gender and sexuality. They continue from generation to generation. And in our text, the disciples asked Jesus, did the blind man's parents do something or did he do something to cause his blindness? But Jesus doesn't get caught up in their questions, in their judgments or beliefs. He's like, we don't have time for these distractions. We must work. Some may find this a peculiar response, but I think Jesus is saying, nope, we are doing that. We aren't spending our time talking about this blind man's, you know, this blind man. Jesus saw a need. He answered the need and he moved on. Many times we see Jesus doing God's work alone as he prayed and fasted, taught, comforted the grieving, healed the sick, fed the hungry, works all motivated by love. But this time he says, we must work. Now we know what that looked like in the Bible and we know how it looked during the civil rights movement. But how does it look for us today? Like standing up to power and in some cases kneeling or taking a knee or speaking up when we see injustice, sending reminders to vote, voting ourselves or mailing in our votes, getting family, friends, and neighbors to vote, calling a loved one who's been locked inside their apartment during COVID, donating food to the local food bank, getting more involved in our church, donating, donating books to classrooms, having hard conversations with family members and co-workers, intergenerational learning and talking, creating safe spaces for young people and all people, regardless of race, sexual identity, gender identity and expressions, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs, immigration status or location, safe spaces where people can be seen and heard and affirmed, creating grants for organizations like Black Lives Matter and helping folks stay in their homes by canceling their rent. Our love for all humanity, the beloved community, must compel us to work. There should be something in us that calls out to us to act when we witness death, when we witness killings, to act when we see suffering, inequality, and injustice. The scripture reminds us that we have a limited time on this earth. So what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for a sign from God? 
Are we waiting to be called to some great big work? Are some things too menial, insignificant, too far away, too dirty, too hard? Or hmm, do they come at too great a cost? You know that as we procrastinate or allow ourselves to get caught up in things that just don't matter, we, you know, people are dying. Things need to change and the time is now. There must be a sense of urgency in our living, urgency in our serving, in our acts of love for one another. Jesus makes it simple for us. He spits on the ground and makes mud with his saliva and he spreads the mud on the man's eyes. Saliva and dirt. He didn't have to come up with a strategic plan. He didn't require an abundance of resources. He didn't even need anyone's approval. He took what he had and he used it to meet the man's need. Now I know that the coronavirus presents many challenges as we think about serving our community. I know that the needs of our cities, states, country, and world, they seem overwhelming. But as we think creatively and resourcefully about how we can make a difference in the earth, each of us has something to give. Our unique gifts, our talents and skills and resources, our love, they all matter. The men and women of the civil rights movement didn't have instructions on how to lead a movement, but they used what they had, their voices, their songs and laughter, their arms and legs. They had their faith, faith in each other, and ultimately faith in God. They had to act. Things needed to change. What's in your heart? What's in your hand? that can meet the needs of someone else, that can change this nation. We've got work to do, so let's get moving. Come on, let's get started. Amen.